five things that God uses to help uh, us grow in our faith. And over the last 20 years I've been a Christian, uh, these resonate to me, these five things that I'm going to be presenting this morning. And the idea of today's lesson is, is having a big faith, but one of the things that God uses to help grow your faith and my faith is practical teaching. Is a teaching of the Scriptures that you can walk away with and apply to your life. When your obedience and your faith intersect, God shows up. And people always sometimes tell me, well, is it faith or is it obedience? And we're going to answer that question today. Because it's a compelling question. So imagine with me for a minute. Just imagine with me. For those of you who believe in God, and for those of you who may be sitting here this morning going, I'm not even sure that He exists. Just imagine with me for a moment. What if God really existed? And what if you had perfect faith in Him? What if you were absolutely confident God was with you? No doubt about it. What if you were confident that everything that came your way was a part of a divine plan, and that someday you would look back and you would see how it all fit in. Imagine what would happen to your stress level. Imagine what would happen to your fear. Just knowing that God was with you. He is with you. How you would respond and act to challenges in your life. What if you were confident that God really had your best interests in mind. And that, He gave us laws and principles to live by. What if that was the case? What if we lived with confidence that God was with us, working through us, and our responses to everything would be different when we would lose our job? How would our reaction be knowing that God is with us? Or someone that we know has a terminal disease. How would it change your life? You know, every once in a while, I meet a, I meet a Christian like that, and they're pretty amazing people. Yeah. But I think they've had to learn that the hard way, how, to, how they got there, like everything is from God. I'm like, how do you even think that? How do you even process it that way? Sometimes I'm just perplexed by, and, I, and, I, I, and I'm going, how do did, how did they get there? And what I've come to realize, they just have amazing faith. That God is completely involved in every aspect of their life. And it's compelling. You're like, wow! And I wish I had that. I'm jealous. Here's something that Christians believe. We believe that mankind or humankind's problems began when people quit trusting God. Before Adam and Eve ate the fruit off the tree, they doubted that God had their best interest in mind. Yes, it was disobedience, but initially it was, they began to doubt because the serpent was saying, did God really say? And they were like, did God really say? And so they doubted God. When trust is broken, the relationship is broken. Think about your marriage. We just got done through a marriage uh, series here at church. When your trust is broken in your marriage, it really hampers and really... um, um, potentially breaks a relationship. And the entire Old Testament, if you were to look at all the books, it's just saying one message. God is saying one thing to to His people. He's like, hey, trust me. 
You know what's interesting? That God didn't give his people even the law, the Ten Commandments, till after they came out of Egypt, after they saw all the great things that God had did. Then he gave them the law. Then he gave them the principles. First he said, trust me, I'll get you out of Egypt. No problem. I'll give you ten plagues that will blow your mind. And after all that, then God gave them the laws. That's pretty interesting. Here's what Christians believe. This is the time in God's people where the leader of God's people and the people themselves had began to drift away from God. And back then it was a monarchy. And back then we had a monarchy, you had a king. And the king was given prophets from God who would, who would instruct the king saying, hey, you've got to get back to the word of God. You've got to get back to the Bible. Stop relying on politics. Stop relying on other people to prop up our nation. Our nation is here because of one thing, and that is God. And so when they begin to drift... Here's what Jeremiah says to the people and to the king of Israel. He says, this is what the Lord says. It's not not Jeremiah's words. These are the Lord's words. Cursed are those who trust in mortals, who depend on flesh for their strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. They'll be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. We believe one thing. Our problems begin when we quit trusting God. When we rely on our flesh for strength, our, our, our intellect, our logic, our reasoning, and we do not adhere to the Word of God, what happens is your heart begins to slowly turn away from the Lord. It does not happen quickly. It happens gradually. And that's where most people end up. So they slowly lose their faith and trust in God. And when tragedy strikes, all they see is, God, why did you do this to me? They don't see a faith where, wow, God is with me. God is working through me. God has a plan. They don't even see that anymore. All they see is, why is God a mean and cruel God? Why are there starving people? Why this happened to my cousin or my mother or my brother? Because they have been depending on their flesh for a long time. And so sometimes when challenges come, we don't see God work. And there are a lot of challenges going on in the Bible at this time. In the New Testament, there is no difference. In the New Testament, uh, Christianity is an invitation to enter or re-enter, if you've been away for a while, into a relationship of trust with God. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, sin was forgiven, and we were invited into this relationship as Dana so said so in her life. That's what drew her into God was the cross of Jesus. And the shame that she had been living with was taken away because of Jesus, which is awesome. But it wasn't to obey first. It actually was she had to put her trust in, into Jesus first. Then her obedience came. There's a coin that's in here. You know, faith, salvation comes by faith. Now here's George Washington. This is a nice little dollar coin I found on the internet. Now if this was faith only, and this is a coin, it doesn't make any sense. Because a coin has two sides. 
One side is faith. The other side is obedience. It's all part of the same coin. They're not two different coins. We cannot say, just my faith alone saves me. Because the scriptures do say that. You are saved by your faith. But they also say, you are also expected to obey. Those who do not obey, he says, Jesus goes, you don't love me. If you don't obey my teachings, you don't love me or care about me. So which is it? Is it faith? Or is it obedience? Look in your pocket for your coin. The answer is, they're both important. They're both a part of the same coin. Because if you say, well, I believe in God, yet I'm going to sleep with anyone I want to, because I'm saved by faith, that is ridiculous. I'm a married man. I can't be going around sleeping with other women. But, but honey, I'm saved by faith. See, George, faith, saved. No. She goes, she'll pull me to the tail. To the other side, says, no, buddy, you got to obey. But there's a challenge with that. And I'll get to that in a second. But this is one of the things that really mess people up spiritually. They like to choose one or the other. People like to say, I have faith only, my obedience is it's, it's Momo. Or people that are high on the obedience and they rely on their flesh for strength, but their faith is very low. There's a passage in the Bible that I want to introduce you to. It's in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5 in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, I have, I have it on the screen for you. But if you have a Bible, please turn there with me. I want you to see it for yourself. The interaction that Jesus has with a centurion. He's a Roman soldier. He's in charge of a hundred soldiers. He is a very important person. And Jesus has this interaction with them. And it's a, it's a very amazing interaction. And I'm going to tell you why in a second. In verse 5, it says, When Jesus had come or entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. That, that just right there is very odd and strange because centurions don't go to rabbis for help. The Roman Empire had their own doctors. They had their own infrastructure. But here's a centurion, someone who's not an Israelite, someone who's not, quote-unquote, God's people. He actually searches out and looks for Jesus. He's an unbeliever who is searching for this radical rabbi who he knows has heard stories that he has healed people. And so, he's not a dummy. I'm going to go check this out. So he goes and says, hey, I'm going to ask for help. Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. What I love about the centurion is that he actually cared for those who were his servants. He didn't have to. In fact, back then, you, you were a slave your entire life. That's fine. You, you're, most of the time, you're mistreated. But the centurion had a good heart. He's like, hey, one of my guys is down. I heard you can heal people. You know, he's suffering. T- he's paralyzed. He can't move. And Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Love that response. Love that. Sometimes Jesus would say, Just, just go ahead and head on back. He's, by the time you get there, he's good. Sometimes he would do that. But Jesus on this occasion goes, Hey, you want me to go down and check it out? And I want you to look at his reaction. Here is an unbeliever who comes to Jesus with trust. With faith. That's why he approached him. He had to have trust this guy. He had to put his faith because it's a public situation. 
So he's putting his faith in Jesus publicly. And look what he says. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Okay, this guy puts his faith in Jesus. Jesus goes, I'll go over and check it out, bro. I'll go help you. He goes, no. I understand. If you just say it, it's going to happen. Because me, I understand. When I tell my servant, go, he goes. I do this, he jumps. I just say it, and it will be done. This is the interaction this guy's having with Jesus. Most people are like, hurry, Jesus, hurry, hurry, hurry. You're going too slow, Jesus. This guy's off. Just say it, man. Just say the word, and it's, it, is, it is good as gold. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Marveled, astonished, extraordinarily impressed by. This was the only time this word is attributed to Jesus. And you know something else? Jesus never marveled at someone's obedience. Or else the Pharisees would have been been lifted up all day long. He never marvels at your obedience. He what he marvels at is our faith. That's what he marveled at. Do you actually trust me that I am working in your life? That's what astonishes him. He's amazed and said, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone. He's, you know, imagine those 12 guys who are with him, the apostle, they're going, uh, anyone? I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And his 12, the guys he rolls with, the 12 apostles, you know, our heroes in the faith, he didn't even say that about them. He just says about this, this non-Christian Gentile guy. Because he understood faith and obedience. Just say it. You know, God is most honored. He receives the most glory through our living an active, death-defying, out-of-the-box Faith and trust. That means walking by faith means doing what you do if you are confident God was with you. This is huge. Because normally we do things to gain something, right? That's our normal habit. We obey God because we trust someone. We don't do because we want something out of it. We just trust God. And so, growing spiritually is growing in your faith and confidence when your faith and your obedience intersect, God shows up. And you see it. And it's clear to you, God showed up. Wouldn't it be cool to have Jesus say about you, I've never seen such great faith. When Jesus says something, He says it. You know, a lot of times, what happens is, our religious experiences confuse faith and obedience. Some churches pick obedience only, and some churches pick faith only. And the scriptures teach, no, they constantly intersect. 
And they're intersecting constantly. Spiritual growth is not primarily about becoming smarter or more obedient. Because spiritual growth is primarily about growing in your trust, our trust in God, which involves more learning. So if Bible knowledge is what you're after, and you Bible knowledge alone will make you proud. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. It'll make you proud. If you're into, I want to know the Bible, it's going to make you proud. But if obedience alone, you know what that does? It makes you judgmental and legalistic. So if you slant toward obedience, and that's, that's my coin, that's my thing, then you end up being a judgmental, legalistic person. But if you end up being on the other side of it, well, I just want knowledge, I want to know about God, it makes you proud. You don't know how many books in the Bible there are. 66. 27 in the old. You start being proud, going, hey, they don't know their Bible. Oh, they can't counsel me. They don't know the Scriptures. I need someone who really knows the Scriptures to counsel my heart. That's what pride does when you have a lot of knowledge. But on the flip side, if your obedience head too heavy, we're like, why is he late to church? Why? I didn't see anything. I didn't see him drop any money in the basket because I made sure everyone saw my contribution. <laughs> Why didn't I? Hmm. I don't think he gives online. Hmm. Hmm. Living out of his, living beyond his means, obviously. Hmm. You see how we can go? Where we can get? It's both. It's both. So God is at work in all of our lives. He's trying to build our faith and you have a part in that process. So these five things that help God that God uses to grow our faith are important. The first one is it's practical teaching. It's practical. These are some of the things. What what does practical teaching do? It shows us where we are. Like, oh, that's where I'm at. See, some of you are convicted that, yes, I am judgmental. Oh, that's why I'm... Okay, you got, you got that. But it also tells you where you need to go. That's what practical teaching does. It shows you, here's where I'm at, and where do you need to go. The second one is uh, providential relationships. Meaning, God has orchestrated when you come to church, that you meet people and going, wow, I really connected there, and I really want to be connected with this person. It allows us to hear from God through others. There are people that God has put in our lives that He speaks through them to get to you. Because you may have not been reading your Bible lately, which happens. And so this guy in your life comes along and says, hey man, I noticed that uh, you've been kind of struggling. Want to have a cup of coffee and talk about it? Yeah, I'd love to. It allows you to hear God through others. Number two. Number three is private spiritual disciplines. You know, getting up in the morning and, and reading your Bible and getting up and praying and getting up and, and, and living out your faith. It tunes our hearts to God's hearts. When we get up and read and get up and, and pray, it just aligns our hearts with God. It just, we're in tune. We think more spiritually. We act more spiritually. Number four is pivotal circumstances. Force us to look at God. Sometimes that's when someone dies in our family. There's a tragedy. And the only thing we can do is we look up and it forces us to look at God, whether it's in a good light or a, or a bad light. But it forces us to look at God. Situations, you know, a marriage crisis. I want a divorce. You're going, Lord, help me. How did I get here? You know, Mr. Mug and Mrs. Mug separate, right? Lord, help me. It happens. Five is personal ministry. 
being involved, actively involved in helping other people grow spiritually, it enables us or you to experience God's power. Like when we open the Bible and see someone's heart change, they're going, how did that happen? It wasn't what I said, it's what this said. And they changed their heart. That's what amazes me about when I, when I get with people, I open the Bible, this is what God says. They're like, wow. And I've been trying to logically walk them through it the whole time. And this is what it means. And this is what this is all the fancy stuff. And, that, and then I show them the Bible. They're like, oh my gosh, I've got to follow this. It's really what, it's God's word that does that. These are the things and these are the ingredients. You know, one of the things we try to do in our church is we try to make your experience engaging. We try to make the content, what we preach about and teach about, helpful. We want you to come to church and, and go home and be able to apply the Bible in your life. You know, uh, I, I don't teach the Bible to people. I teach people the Bible. What it says. Here's what it says. And here's a, here's a practical way you can take it home with you. That's why I bring on Mr. and Mrs. Mug. That's why I hold these signs saying, assume the best. Because we want you to walk away from this service going, I can apply that to my life. I can apply that. So practical teaching is huge. Um, the question I, I always ask myself when I speak is, what do you need to, need to know? What do you need to do? And why do you need to do it? Because if I'm just telling you what I think without a why, you won't do it. So why is important. That's why I ask myself these questions. Okay, if you're thinking for... I mean, you come to this church as a guest. There's a place for quiet reflection. You know, uh, this is not it. Our church is, is not like a solemn... When you walk in, there's going to be hand clapping. There's going to be physical contact. Not rugby, but you're gonna, you might get a few hugs. You're going to get hugged. You will not escape this church without a hug. Or a handshake. Or something of a physical touch. We just like to engage people. It's part... This ain't it. If you're looking for a church that don't touch me, don't be around me, this ain't the church. We're going to engage you. Okay? You know what happened when Jesus read the Old Testament in His day? It started riots. It wasn't quiet and reflective. People got crazy. In John chapter 8, after he went to the temple and finished a sermon, and he had a little Q&A, you know what happened? They tried to stone him. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to a brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw Jesus off the cliff. You will be engaged. We will engage you in content, in relationships. That's what Jesus does. He shakes things up. This is not a church that's just, we don't do that here. We don't. Because that's not what Jesus did. You might get asked some questions that might shake you up. You might want to throw us on, take us to the top of the brow of the hill and throw us down. Because we may ask you, hey, do you want us to do the Bible? You may go, that's too personal, bro. I'm going to throw you off the hill. We may ask you over for dinner. We may ask you over for lunch. We may ask you to be a part of your life. Hey, hey, can we hang out? You may get those questions because we're not a church that just quietly reflects and goes home. We're a church that wants to engage you and every and everything. Unapplied truth. I read this quote on the internet. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. The value is in the application. That's why practical teaching, teaching is so important. So this is what Jesus says about practical teachings. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So one of the things that God uses to blow up our faith is application-oriented teaching. Application-oriented. Can I apply this to my life? Teaching that moves us to action. To express faith in God by doing what He says in spite of what we see. Because sometimes we see a situation and we lose our faith. But when you have action-oriented teaching and you do it and your faith and obedience intersect, God shows up. He does. Our obedience unleashes the faithfulness of God in our lives. And we get to experience that. When you go and say, I'm going to invite this person to church. And you do it and also they have this unexpected reaction. You're like, church, I'd love to go. <laughs> well, it worked. God shows up. When you, in your marriage, and I'm just speaking personally, Karen and I got into a fight where it was I was felt helpless and hopeless. I was like, what do I do? Well, number four was providential relationships, right? So guess what? We guess what? I called up Peter and Katie Revizo and said, "Can you help us?" Little did I know that Karen was already up at their house, <laughs> at their table, talking about me. But I got—I know Peter and Katie, so they're awesome. So I took—I said I, we, we contacted Peter, but we took the kids up there, and we had a good hour and a half, just a heart-to-heart talk about how to communicate, how to express our pain without hurting each other. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Mug—they bumped, and stuff came out. Red and white balls were flying, right? But because of the providential relationships, we were able to engage them quickly. We're not sitting around for two days going, I wonder when she's going to apologize. She should be hard humble. She's a Christian. You know how you do that? You stop talking for like 24 hours. You don't talk to each other. You avoid each other. We can't do that. We got little kids that are going like... <laughs> the first question they asked was, Dad, what'd you say to Mom? I'm like, I said nothing. <laughs> I didn't say anything this time. Like my kids know. And then we had to talk with our kids afterwards. Hey, what do you think? And they got to express Julian. I was like, well, I knew you guys get resolved. You guys always do. And you guys always get help. I'm like, thank you. And Jane's like, I can't even share what I feel. Jane's on the couch. I can't share. I can't share. And then Julian's like, want me to share for you, Jerry? He's like, yeah, share for me. She's like, he's like, she thought you guys were going to get a divorce. And these are real feelings that kids experience. And it really... It, 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 it impacted me in a great way because our fights, you just think, you just think they affect you and your spouse. They don't. They, they, tra- they traumatize children. And that's what Jaden, that's what his thought was. I'm like, buddy, I, I, I'm in it to win it, buddy. I'm in it all the way. You know, I had to reassure him all the way. But Jill and I was like, I no problem. But that's just my daughter. She's like, you get resolved. He was like, it's over. What's happening? He's our Eeyore. So we love that guy. Love that guy. It's awesome. And that's how I help him. I got to encourage him and give him confidence. Them know it's going to be okay. But it, it, it taught me a great, valuable lesson that fighting. It reminded me of another, an, an, a, just a reminder that it, it it affects our children, big time. So imagine your life. What your life would look like if you trusted God completely. Completely. 
God just, just doesn't want your obedience. Otherwise, He could force that. Just ask my kids on my soccer team. I make them obey me. When they come to practice, be quiet and listen and learn. I mean, I make sure that they... I got obedient kids out there because they're, they're under 10 years old and they're wild banshees. I could force obedience. And I do that on the soccer pitch. But God doesn't want that. God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to love Him. God wants you to take Him at His word. This is what He says. This is what He meant. So for the next four weeks... We're going to examine the other four things, the catalysts, if you want to call them, that God uses to grow our faith. Today, I want you to have a great afternoon. And your takeaway is, I want you to leave here understanding what you can apply today in your faith as you leave our doors today. Thank you and have a great afternoon.